Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. Amen. Take your Bible and look at Hebrews chapter 1. We're we're looking at uh, part 2 of this message. I've entitled, It's All About Jesus. You know, we live in a world where it's, where constantly it's said, is it not? Uh, It's all about you. Me, myself, and I. There you go, right? Put your arms around you and hug yourself. Well, it's not about you. It isn't. You're important. You're priceless. You know, you're made in God's image, and if you're saved, you belong to Him. You belong to Him. Everything you have, every breath, every talent, every treasure, every moment, all of it is His, really. It's His. It's not yours. It's His. We are the Lord Jesus Christ. We're children of the way. That's what they called the church, you know, believers, uh, uh, people of the way. They were first called Christians at Antioch. Little Christ, that's what you are. That's what God is making you. It's not about you. I understand that, you know, we think about my job and my work and my studies and, and my home and my family, and I, I, I know we talk that way, and uh, as right, well, we should. Well, how else do you, do you say it? But underneath all of that, uh, do you recognize that uh, you belong to Him and it's all His? You've been bought with a price. That's what Paul says. Therefore, glorify God. Uh, uh, It's all his. Renew your mind. Be focused on that. Well, it's about Jesus. Part two in Hebrews, going to unfold this for us. You know, often we're given to thinking about great men and women, are we not? I hope you do. It's a good, good exercise. You know, they capture our imaginations. Um, These are often found in the history books. Some of you love history. The History Channel is a very popular TV channel, they say, studying the different uh, characters uh, of history. And, uh, and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm the same. I mean, I, I love the Civil War battles. Uh, I'm a fan of Stonewall Jackson. I read a number of uh, books about him. Kit Carson, I rode with Stonewall. That's one of the best. Uh, what, a, what a godly general. He was. Went to heaven on Sunday. God had to remove him before Gettysburg. It'd be a whole different story. I'm sorry. You know, he never lost in the Valley Campaign. You know, I I hear about it, read about it, captures my imagination. You know, he prayed every night with his uh, staff uh, officers and godliness, really. Tremendous godly man. Captured. Great man. Great man, really. Advance. Charge. You know, Longstreet, right? He was always with the cannons holding back. That's why he was so late in the, the cannon, uh, the cannon uh, blast there at Gettysburg. He's twiddling his thumbs. They balanced out each other on Lee's staff. Great man. How about the world of sports? Mickey Mantle. He's a little young boy. No, no one liked the Mick, you know? Whitey Ford and the old Yankees. Some of you, some of you hate the Yankees, but... Uh, for a guy in Buffalo, New York, yeah, they were the, we didn't have a major team, but uh, they were 
uh, you know, captured. I had Little League Baseball. I had the 33-inch Mickey Mantle. Captured my great man, right? You think about the world of sports. And uh, I saw O.J. Simpson. I know he's fallen on bad times. I saw him run for over 300 yards one day there in Buffalo Stadium. They called back. When they, they ran over 300. They called back an 80-yard run. Incredible. Uh, Jim Brown, the Cleveland, Cleveland Browns, right? Jim Brown, what an what a incredible guy, right? I played enough Sandlot, and then seven years of football organized. You know, Jim Brown running, I, and there ate my own little Sandlot. There he goes, Jim Brown, up the hole. It's a 32 dive. <laughs> Captures the imagination, right? We think of the greats, Michael Jordan, who, you know, my, little, my Jonathan growing up now, but Michael Jordan. It's, it's a three-pointer, you know? And so these things capture us. The world of politics wasn't thought of people like Abraham Lincoln, you know, against all odds, did what was right there at great price, right? Well, just to name a few, the greats, as we think about them. Well, one day, Jesus quizzed his disciples, you know? Jonathan told me, I said, what do you got? I got midterms this week. With, and Jesus, that was a midterm exam. Here's the quiz question. It was an essay. Who do men say that I am? You can check that out uh, in Matthew's Gospel. Who do men say that I am? There it is. All right, write the essay. And some of them said, well, some said Elijah. Why did they say that? Well, Malachi said that Elijah was coming again. And some say it's that prophet. That Moses wrote of that prophet. And, uh, and so on. Well, who do you say? It was a two-part question. Well, who do you say that? And Peter, you know, he takes a lot of shots, but he answered this one right. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He got an A-plus on that. He's the Christ. Christ is not his last name. Sometimes we think that. Terry Zabolski says, Jesus Christ. That's not his last name. That's his title. He's the anointed one. He's the seed of the woman. He was the one that was promised at the front end of the book. And the book is all about him. Jesus Christ. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Thou art God verily, is what Peter said. Well, last week, last week we had the joy of, of seeing that Jesus is really the greatest who had ever lived. As God made flesh, he is... Uh, we saw in Hebrews chapter 1, and look at that just in case you missed that, and you can underline that, the sevenfold description that the author of Hebrews presents when we think of it's all about Jesus, it's all about this one who's the greatest who ever lived, greater than any of the names that I mentioned. We saw three of the descriptions last week. What? He has is he is received an inheritance. That meant he's the owner of everything. You don't own it. I don't own it. It's our name on it, maybe. You don't own it, really. He owns it all. When they carry you out, guys, you will probably won't even have shoes on. <laughs> so that last week, upon good authority, uh, a friend of mine from uh, an undertaker from Indiana, don't need them. He said, why don't they put shoes on those? They don't need them, he told me. They don't need them. He's right. God owns everything. Christ the Lord. He's owner of everything. More than that, he's a creator. And you can underline it uh, there in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. We saw it last week. Whom he appointed heir. That's the first thing. And then underline second. 
of whom all things and through through whom he made the universe. There's a second. He made the universe. He's the creator. Number two, he made everything that is. Now we know who it was of the God who said the word, and let there be, in Genesis 1, let there be light. Let there, it was Christ the Lord. That's who did it. And finally, we saw last week that he's the radiance of God the Father, the radiant one. He revealed the glory of God. Well, the writer of Hebrews continues, telling us more uh, of the excellencies of Christ, who was the final revelation of God. He had spoken in prophets and dreams and visions and days gone by, but gave the perfect revelation of himself. Hebrews here, and we find it in the person of Christ. And Therefore, I say that your life should not be about you, We ought to live a Christ-centered life in the nitty-gritty of life. Not just Sunday morning. You know, I come, I get my card stamped. Pastor, where are you? Are you stamping cards today? You know, (laughs) do do we do parking here? No, 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 it's not that. In the nitty-gritty of your life. The problems, the good times, the down times, and most of us in between, it's about Him. It is. All about him. This is the prelude. Uh, Eternity is the main event. But we are to live, it's all about him. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And therefore the proposition, sevenfold description of Jesus. He's the one whom it's all about. For when we compare to him, there is none great. There is none. I mean, the greats that I mentioned, I mean, you can't even say it in the same sentence. With the great Lord Jesus Christ, the glory of God, the great revelation of God the Father to us. I mean, who do you put in a sentence? Jesus and, right? Mickey Mantle, somehow it doesn't fit. Jesus and Willie Mays. No, I don't think so. Jesus and Michael Jordan. Lou L. Cinder, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. No way. Jesus and Abraham Lincoln. I don't think so. You see? All else diminish. Everything else fades away. It is only him. It is only Jesus. And we will bow and worship him and adore him. And you don't have to wait till then. You ought to do that every day, all day long. Your life ought to be a worship to him. And what you do, doing well, doing it for the glory of God, not for you. Wow, that's what he's telling us. Well, four more descriptions then, and Hebrews chapter 1, this book that presents the preeminence of Jesus. Let's just read it again, verse 1, chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. And then he gives us seven excellencies here, whom he appointed heir of all things. He's the owner. Through whom he made the universe, he's creator. The the sun is the radiance of God's glory. And then for today we're looking at, he's the exact representation of his being. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he provided purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. That's the Lord Jesus. Rob, could you give me that cup of water right in front here? It's on 56. 
All right, let's look at uh, the first one here today. Number one, what's, uh, what are we looking at? Jesus is the exact, uh, he is the exact representation of the Father, the exact representation of his being, icon, precise copy or image. Jesus is the perfect revealer of the Father. There's none greater than that. Philip uh, asked the Lord Jesus there in the upper room in John 14. Keep your finger in Hebrews. I just want to show you uh, John 14. Oh, thank you, Hans. Uh, there in, this is within the shadow of the death of Jesus. After his I am the way, the truth, and the life statement. Uh, there in uh, John 14, 8, here's the disciple Philip. Don't you love Philip? Philip said, Lord Jesus, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. There it is, the exact representation. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father? that the Father is in me. You see, it's not one and the same person. It's one God, three persons. And here's the person of the Father and the person of Jesus. And Jesus says, look, he is in me. You see me, you've seen the Father. The exact representation of the Father. Uh, In Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. Colossians 2.9. Well, this is different from... Him being earlier said the radiance of the glory of God. The radiance is like the rays of the sun and the glory. Uh, Now we're talking about this exact representation refers to the, the substance of God. That is, his person, his character, more than his glory and radiance and distinction, yet unity. Well, what is God like? You, you, You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. He is God in flesh. He is the exact representation. There are those that say, well, Jesus and Mohammed must be alike. No, they're not. Mohammed's dead. He was a man, lost, buried. His body is ashes today, dust, gone. His soul is somewhere. It's heaven or hell, that's it. Only two choices. Jesus is not like Mohammed. He vacated the tomb on the third day without corruption, God verily, forever the God-man. When you see him, he'll have a human body. But here on earth, he was the exact representation emanating the glory and character and substance of the Father. Look at him with his mercy with children. You know, if you don't love kids, ask God to change your heart. I love that. JT had all those kids over last night, right? Jesus had a heart for kids, right? The disciples said, keep the kids away. He's too important. Jesus said, let them come. Permit them to come. Such is the kingdom of God. Bring them. And they imagine that. They touched him. They sat on his lap. He loved them. You know, that's Jesus. That's, you say, well, what's God like? That's what God's like. He's merciful. He's kind. He's patient. He's long-suffering. He's the great lover. God is the great lover. Look, the greatest of all is the greatest lover of all. It's not Romeo and Juliet. It's God, our Father. That's what God is like. He's a holy God, though. He's all these goodness, but he's also great. He's almighty. 
He's all-knowing. He knows everything about you. He designed you for works to be done. Wow, he's a God of history. He's the God who's sovereign. The world's not out of control. It's going right according to his schedule. So what is God like? He's always on time. He's wonderful. That's what God is like. He's the exact representation of the glory of God. When I was a kid, that uh, a terrible, demonic, satanic, Jesus Christ superstar came out. I had a very good pastor who preached against it there in the 60s, you know. It's horrible, really hard. Don't ever see it. Don't fill your mind with that trash. I mean, it was wrong. It, the writer of that put into the words of Mary Magdalene, and he pre- presents it like Mary Magdalene had a, had a sexual ref- affair with Jesus. It was perverted and evil. And here's Mary Magdalene singing, and it's a beautiful tune, and you've all heard it. He's just a man. He's just a man. Every page of this Bible shouts that that's how the pit of hell is not just a man. He's a man. He's a man in every sense of the word, yet without sin. But he's more than that. He's the God-man. In fact, he's more than that. He's the exact representation of the Father. So think right about him. Think night. I know that some of you are we're talking about Jesus on the cross. There are some churches that uh, he's always on the cross. He's always on the cross. And, and that doesn't mean we shouldn't think about the price that was paid for our sin. But sometimes when you see the artistry of Jesus always on a visible cross, maybe in a church setting, you get the wrong idea. He's not dead. He's not dying. He did the great work. He came forth triumphantly. He's alive. He's almighty. He's the exact representation of the Father. Well, the word that NC is commonly used for this icon or image is, uh, is the same word that was, is used in the die casting of a coin. Now, I have this coin in my hand. I wish I bought more of 1991. I bought a few of these with Jonathan. He said, hey, let's get some silver dollars. We went down to Camp Hill Art. He's no longer there. Uh, and I bought this silver coin. Imagine that, one ounce of silver? It drives me crazy to see everybody advertising about precious metals today. I called to try and buy another one the other week. They said, we can't get them anywhere. I bought that. I paid $4.50. Anybody give me $5? I saw in the pay this, yes, I checked before this, $25 this thing is worth. Talk about inflation. Why do I say that? I went to the Denver Mint once. We had a conference out there. If you've ever gone to the Mints, it's kind of fun to see it. They won't give out any free samples, but you can go there and you watch how they coin the money. They have, it's really fascinating. And to see all this money go by, they have these, they, they roll out the, the, the well, this was probably made at the Franklin Mint or somewhere in Philadelphia, but the Denver Mint, they make the quarters and the pennies and the nickels and the dimes and all that kind of thing on the sheets, and they have these dies that, that squeeze the metal and put the imprint of, uh, of the die onto the metal. And for most of what they do in Denver, it's a perfect, exact icon, representation of it. And the ones that aren't, and if you're a coin collector, they're the ones that are worth money, right? They put two heads on a coin. You could have a coin worth some money because yeah, that's not an exact representation. But this is. This is a nice piece of silver. I wish I had a few more shekels like this in my pocket. But uh, anyway, an exact representation 
It isn't to die, but it's an exact representation of a walking liberty, and on the other side, an eagle. Beautiful. It's a beautiful, beautiful coin, whoever, whoever did it with a sunrise. I say that because that's the word that is used here, that Jesus, like in the, is the exact image, the exact representation of his Father. So you, Jesus, no wonder he said, you see me, you want to know what God the Father's like, look at me. Have I been with you so long, Philip, that you don't know? He's a perfect representation or reproduction of the Father. He's perfect, he's personal, the imprint of God in time and space. Well, the exact representation. Think rightly about him. Think rightly. Don't be polluted by the nonsense that floats around this culture, this society that we live in. He's a glorious image of the Father. But more than that, look at number two. Uh, the second uh, description of Jesus uh, is it tells us here that He's sustaining, in Hebrews 1-2, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus holds the universe together, and he carries it to its predetermined end. He carries the universe to its predetermined end. You want to feel small today? Here, let me, let me run this one by. In, in, in my study for this, I ran across one astrophysicist that said in his writings, that the universe has 100, let me get this right, 100 billion universes. I'm, I'm sorry, galaxies. The universe is everything. But in it, there are 100 billion galaxies. Now, that we're part of the Milky Way galaxy. That's one. Okay, can, you want to count to a billion? 100 billion? There's two. There's three. There's four. A hundred billion galaxies, and in each one, he went on to say, plus or minus a, a billion, there are a hundred billion stars. Now, that ought to make you feel real big. That's enormous. The enormity of the creation of the universe and it, and it makes a great theological statement, and I've said it a hundred times, and it's this. God is saying, listen, look at the stars, here's the message, I am great, and you are not. You know, if you fly in an airplane, go up 30,000, 40,000 feet, look down, you can't even see man. Say, well, down there, there's a million of them. I don't even see him. I don't even see him. I don't see him. We go to the moon and look back. A few men have done that. Look back on the earth, can't see anything. You know, I'm, we'll say, I'm five foot ten. You ought to be able to see me. I'm sorry, you just vanished. A hundred billion galaxies consisting of a hundred billion stars each. And what does the text say? Jesus holds the universe together by his powerful, it's the word dynamos, dynamite, powerful word, his spoken word. He actively does it, even to this moment, even to this day. Wow. And he carries it to his predetermined ending. ending. Look at A. The sustaining involves far more than holding it together. He does. It involves bearing it up. He carries it. Phaeron is the Greek word. Phaeron. He carries it. 
A lot of us uh, in days gone by would do weightlifting. A lot of guys like Charles Atlas, like Louie here. He's kind of like our local image of Charles Atlas, right? Atlas. You know, I want to be like Atlas. Get those big delts. Uh, holds the world up here, right? The, uh, the world. Jesus is seen here not simply holy. It's alive, and he's actively, and he's moving it. He's not just standing like a deadlift. He's carrying it toward his predetermined ending. That's what the text and the sense of the passage means, unlike uh, Charles Atlas. Everything to his predetermined ending. It's his governance. It's his power. It's right on time. We're always running late. We're so busy and hurried as Americans, right? You were sitting there wondering, is pastor going to finish on time? I got the pot roast on. We got to do this. We got to go that. We got to, you know, we are sitting there is he going to be on time? I'm sitting here wondering, will people come on time to worship? And what about through the week? I'm t- Jesus, right on time. He's not behind. Right on schedule. He was born in the fullness of time. He gave his life on the exact day, Passover. And he continues right on time. He's carrying it all forward to a day in which he will come for us. It could be today. We're, we as Christians are to live expect, expecting the return of the Lord. Lord, is it today? Look up. Your redemption draws nigh. And when we shall be translated, then Christ will rise first. And we who are alive and remain shall be snatched up together, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That day is going to be. That's a real day. It's not funny money or funny time. It's real. It's not phony. And he's right on time. And we ought to worship him, think rightly about that. The sustaining bee involves uh, everything, all things, visible and invisible, large things and tiny things. The whole world, as it were, hangs on his arm. And it's not a world of chaos, random chance. No way. Never could be. And he does this all by his spoken word. How different from our word, right? We may say something, I want this done, right? Boys, cut the grass Saturday morning. Come home and it's, it's uh, not done. <laughs> so much for Dad's word of yesteryear, right? Well, when Christ the Lord speaks, it happens. It happens. It's not a world of chaos. Uh, MacArthur right. Let me read a little bit of what Martha, John MacArthur wrote about this section. It's a rather amazing uh, when you think about it. And our world could never be a world of random chance. We could never live in a world like that. Uh, the, the, the fact that the Lord Jesus holds it all together. Uh, MacArthur writes, We base our entire lives on the continuance, the constancy of laws. Right? When something such as an earthquake comes along and disrupts the normal condition or operation of things even a little, the consequences are often disastrous. Can you imagine what would happen if, if Christ the Lord relinquished his sustaining powers over the laws of the universe? We would go out of his existence. If he suspended the law of gravity for a moment, we would perish in unimaginable ways. If he suspended it, we'd be floating. There you go. Where's Billy going? He's going to Jupiter, just floating off, right? If the physical laws varied, we would have an unbelievable mess. We could not exist. We could not stay in the earth. As I mentioned, we would drift into space. 
We would get flooded by the oceans periodically. Countless other horrible things would happen, many of which we could not even guess. Consider, for example, what constant destruction would happen if the Earth's rotation just slowed down just a little bit. The sun has a surface temperature of 12,000 degrees Fahrenheit. If it were any closer, we'd burn up. Any further away, we would instantly freeze to death. Our globe is tilted in the exact 23.5 degree angle, providing four seasons. If it were not tilted, you know what would happen? The vapors from the ocean would move north and south and develop into a monstrous continent of ice. If the moon did not retain its exact distance from the earth, the, the ocean tides would inundate the land completely twice a day. After the first flight, flooding, of course, the others would not matter as far as we would be concerned. The ocean floors were, not merely a, were, were merely a few feet deeper than they are. The carbon dioxide, uh, dioxide and the oxygen balance of the Earth's atmosphere would be completely upset. No animal or plant life could exist. The atmosphere did not remain at its present density. You know, what is the pressure of atmosphere? 14.6 pounds per square inch at sea level. If, if it didn't do that, it thinned out just a little bit. Just let it thin out a little bit, the atmosphere. Meteorites, would, which now harmlessly burn up, and we see, oh, there's a falling star, isn't it beautiful? They wouldn't burn up. They would pulverize the earth and rain upon your house and your building and smash your car with bombardment. We'd have to live underground or in meteor-proof buildings when it comes crashing through the ceiling. How does the universe stay in this kind of fantastically delicate balance? The text tells us that Jesus Christ sustains and monitors all its movements and all its inner workings. Christ, the preeminent power, maintains it all. Listen, things do not happen in our universe by accident, MacArthur goes on to say. They did not happen that way in the beginning, nor are they going to happen that way in the end. They're not happening that way right now. Christ is sustaining actively the universe right now. He is the, himself the principle of cohesion. He is not like the deist watchmaker creator who made the world, set it in motion, and didn't bother to keep it since. The universe... Uh, is a cosmos instead of chaos. It's an ordered, reliable system instead of an erratic, unpredictable muddle only because Christ the Lord upholds it. Amen and amen. That is the Lord our God. Well, we see glimpses of his power, do we not, in the word? This powerful world, word that sustains, I have on your sheet, he calms the sea. You know, write down the text if you want, Matthew, and, and Mark 4, 39. Remember that? He fell asleep on the Sea of Galilee, and they're worried, Master, don't you care that we perish? And they woke him up, and what did he do? Roused up. Here he is, the, the God-man, the man sleeping in a boat. He must have been weary in the midst of a, a storm. And they, he, they rouse him in their fear. He stands up, and he rebukes the storm. Peace be still. It was a little rougher than that. Actually, in the Greek, it's shut up. Yeah, I mean, he denounces the weather. Now, you, if you think that you have that power, I've got an experiment for you to try. <laughs> Don't try it. Your neighbors will report you, you know. Don't shout to the weather, right? And instantly, the that's the powerful, sustaining word of the Creator. And then how about uh, healing? 
right? Healing. There's one day a leper. The friends let him down there on the bed. It's amazing, right? Take up your bed and walk. The powerful word of Christ. Didn't even look at him. No x-ray, no MRI, no any of that, no surgery. <laughs> Take up your bed and instantly heal. The man who was born blind could never see. Instantly, wonderfully healed so he could see. He didn't even know. I don't even know. They asked him about Jesus. I don't know. All I know is this. Once I was blind, but now I see. Praise the Lord. The mighty word of Christ. And, the, and the, one of the great ones, right, there in John 11. John 11, there with Lazarus. There in Bethany. Lazarus, come forth. And here comes Larry. Lazarus, Larry. So as the grave goes on, comes out like the mummy. You ever see the mummy movies? That used to scare the daylights on me when I was a kid on Friday night, watch the horror movies. You know, that's, that's, that's what I think of with Lazarus, right? Untie him. He's got the grave clothes all around him. Poor guy had to die again, you know? Wow. Spoken word. I'm the resurrection and the life. He sustains all things by his mighty word. Mighty word. Wow. That's the Lord Jesus. Third, excellency, this description of Jesus reminding us he's the great one. It's really about him. It's not about us. And that is in verse 3. Jesus offered the perfect sacrifice for sin. The text says he provided purification for sins. In other words, you say, what's that mean? Look at the next statement. Whatever had to be done about sin in your life, he did it. He did it all. He provided purification for your sin and for mine. He did it. This was his great work. As great as the work that we mentioned earlier, creation and sustaining the work, carrying it to its predetermined end, the greatest work he did was was this. Where he could have done all the above, and if uh, he didn't care for the sin problem, and you and I would not come to be redeemed by his blood, then we would die and be carried into the, the horror of hell. That's why I say it's the greatest work. It's, a, it's his great work. That's the reason he came. So many are goofed up on that, teach wrongly about Christ. He's a good man, but he's not God. He's, he's a great teacher, and that is crazy. Nutty. It's evil. That's not what the text says at all. He's God-made flesh. In the Old Testament, do a study of the Malach Elohim, the angel of the Lord. That's the pre-incarnate Christ. Look at the power and the might. It was he who visited Abraham before he went down and destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. It was he who visited him in the appearance of a man. That was the angel of the Lord, the Lord Jesus, prior to Bethlehem. He didn't come to exist then. He's always been, from eternity past. Think rightly about him. Your life should be about him. His name ought to be all over you and all that you do. You do a report for, for, for a boss or a report, written report for, for school, it, you ought to, it ought to be done for the glory of Christ. So well, why? Because I belong to him. I represent him. Everything I do reflects him, and I want to honor him. That's his great work. Well, that's why he came from heaven, to be the death of death. 
in his own death on the cross, the death of it, to be the end of it, to defeat it. The last enemy he defeated there at the resurrection. This is even greater than sustaining creation. To purify reveals, number two, the dirtying effect of sin in our life. It soils our heart. It ruins our lives. It's making us far less than what we would be otherwise. He provided purification for our sinful hearts. Dirtying. You know, sin has a way of doing that. It makes us less than what God wants us to be, less than what he made us to be. God made you with a conscience. It's like an alarm system. You have a smoke detector in your house or a fire detector, and there's smoke or fire, it goes off. God created you with that in his moral likeness. You know right and wrong. When we do wrong, the alarm goes off. It goes off, and and the more we allow it to go off, the more we run over it, the, the softer it gets. We can have a heart and a seared conscience. And that's a dangerous thing. Always keep your conscience in good working order. And you know how you do that? By daily confessing your sin. Lord, forgive. you know, I shouldn't have said that. You know, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have thought that. I shouldn't have done that. And lay yourself bare. In, 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 before the Lord every single day to keep your conscience in good work. Why? Sin has a dirtying effect in your life. It soils your heart. It does, and it's the downward path. We see today an increased number of, of, uh, of the abusing of children. You know, look in the paper every week. I, I glance at it. I can't read a lot of it. You know, it's such and such man. He, he has intercourse with a little child. You go like, What? You know, like you want to, what? I got news for you. That just didn't happen. There was a downward spiral. Began in evil thinking and exposure to pornography and stuff on the net, dirting, soiling, soiling, and down and down and down. You go like, this guy doesn't deserve to live. Who would do that to a three-year-old or an eight-year-old? Rob the innocence and beauty of a father. It's a soiling dirty. It's the same thing. And not only in that regard, sexually, and our coveting, and our lusting, and our idolatry, and the things that we think about. You see, it's soiling. And Jesus said, I, he, He's the one who provided purification. I'll tell you, it's a glorious thing. Do you, do you count it a great thing to be saved and have a clean heart? I'm telling you, we, we're, we're miserable sinners at best. Every one of us. God's blood through Christ washes us and cleanses us from all our sin. It's glorious to have a clean conscience. Fight to have a clean conscience every day as a Christian. Oh, it's great. You all have a song in your heart. <laughs> as far as the east is from the west, he takes it from us. He provides purification for our sin. Wow. Reminds us that uh, as our sin substitute, and that's what he is, he is our substitute. He paid the penalty, he paid it all. You don't add anything to it. It's a finished work, right? And all is in, in, in this, the greatest of all works, he delivered us from our greatest problem. That's your great problem. You say, my great problem is, is I'm losing my hair. Not, not you, Jim, you know. I'm, no, that's not your great problem. It may be a problem to your, to someone. It's, no, that's not. You say, well, I have, I have bo, or I have bad breath, or halitosis, or I'm stupid, or you know, I don't know. You've, those may be problems, right? That's not your great problem. You're a sinner. The wages of sin is death. 
We are unholy, and we know it. And Christ has provided purification for your sin and mine as our substitute. You can't do it. Don't try and add to it. You know, I once saw the Mona Lisa, a beautiful painting. She's a kind of a humdinger of a person. I mean, you look at it, you're like, whoa. <laughs> Beauty's in the eye of the beholder. You know, some of you are artistic. You're like, well, I think I can improve it. They won't let you near it. Don't go like, I'll fix her up, you know. Put a mustache on her. I don't know. No, don't. they won't let you near They'll rest you and put you. It's a finished work, and that's it. The work on the cross is a finished work. See, I'm going to try and be good to, to add to it. Don't even try. Now, once you're saved, fill your life with good service and works to the Lord, not to be saved or more saved, but serve the Lord because He has saved you. You see, it's a finished work. Praise God for that. Wow. He bore our sins as our substitute. Six hours, somebody wrote, one Friday, a death like no others. Wow. And finally, uh, number four, Jesus is exalted above everything. In, in verse three, the text says, he sat down at the right hand of, of the majesty in heaven. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. His great atoning work was complete. He is seated because there is no more to do. That's what that means. It's finished. Isn't it great to finish a job, finish a project? A lot of you have a, a thousand things around your house that are unfinished. I have a honey-do list. Faith keeps adding to it. Got to do this. Got to do that. Got to hoe out the basement. Got to fix that. Right? Finish. Wouldn't it be great to be finished? You know, when they build a house, I was thinking about that, mentioning the faith the other day. When they finish a house, it's brand new, it's built, that's the first day it begins to crumble. Amen. I hate to tell you that. Get ready. The roof's going to start leaking someday. It's never finished. This is a finished work. He sat down. He sat down up on high. Look what look at the tabernacle. You should know that the tabernacle and the temple did not have chairs. Not because he didn't think about it. Some of you have some nice lazy boys in your home. You got all ready to watch the football game, right? Lazy boy, give me a, something to drink, some popcorn, a piece of. I'm ready for my team to win, right? No chairs in the tabernacle. No chairs in the temple. Not because they didn't think of it. God said, look, this is what goes in there and nothing more. God designed that. He was the interior designer on that and completed it. No chairs. Why was that? God was teaching that this, the blood of bulls and goats could never, never take away sin. It was a covering, temporary, pointing to the finished work. When Jesus would finish his work, his high priestly work, offering in his own body, his own blood for our salvation. It was finished and he sat down. Sat down. Completed. Wow, it shouts to us the glory of our God. I'm reminded also that in the ancient day, the superiors, and we see it in our day, sit down. 
He sat down as king. When he approached the king in the ancient day, he didn't stand. Oh, here he comes. Let me stand up. He's sitting down. You stand, and then you probably bow. Uh, I know we're Americans and King George and all that, and we hate that kind of thought, but it's true. How about a court of law? It follows that today. All stand, for your honorable the judge comes in, right? Judge doesn't stand. Stand up. We're going to read the verdict here. Stand up. What? In respect for the law. You're small. He represents the, the governance in the law of the land. He sits. The judge doesn't stand. He sits. It's a position of superiority. And Jesus sits. It's a finished work. He's the supreme one. That's what the author is having us know here. He sat down. He sat down where? At the right hand of the Father. I got news for you. It's the number one seat in the entire universe. It's a position of honor and authority and supremacy. It's the number one seat. There is no seat close to it. Honor. I'm reminded all may not give him honor today, and many use his name as a curse word, but someday they won't. They'll come before his throne in the universe, and they'll bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. He's got the number one seat. Sometimes we'll go to different events, won't we, and try and get good seats. Someone, someone uh, you might want to go to a football game. We go like, man, I've got to get that 50-yard line seat right down, uh, right down on the field, right? The best seats Faithy and I ever had was <clears throat> one time when, uh, when Kyle Brady was playing on the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. And I had the joy of uh, discipling Kyle, and so on. some of you don't know that, but in baptizing him. But he called me from Jacksonville, and he said, you got to come down to Jacksonville, stay with us. The Bills are coming down, and it's a Thursday night game. It's not Sunday. I know you can't make any of those, but we want to have you come down, and so on and so forth. And, and you can sit with Christy, and you can sit right in the player's section. And, so John, and bring Jonathan, too. He's about yay high, you know. Oh, Daddy, can we, can we, can we, you know. <laughs> so we did. We went down there, and we had, we had a great time. And Kyle said, now, if, the, if we win, we win on Friday, then we're going to go on a, on a I, he had a little boat there. We're going to go on a boat ride. But if we don't win and the Bills win, it's going to be brutal for our team and no boat ride. Well, that's the horns of a dilemma. I sat there during the game. And we were polite, and we sat right down there, 50-yard line seat. Remember that, Faithy? Sat down there right in the player's site, Jaguar player, you know, Smith and his family and others. And Jonathan are like, we're going like this, you know. We didn't yell. We didn't wear bills. You know, you got to be courteous. And, all that. and Flutie, I'm like, he comes down to the last minute, and he pulls one out, and he wins. And we're going like this. And I leaned over. I said, there goes our boat ride, Jonathan. <laughs> Well, we were, we were seated. Now, I don't want to lose my point here. We were seated, 50-yard line, right down on the field. Wow, those are great seats. Some of you like to go to baseball games. I'm sitting right behind the, the home, home plate. I want, to, I want to see the strikes. I want to see the ball. Some of you like to be down the first baseline, right? Some of you go to concerts. You go like, I got to sit right up in front. Can't believe Chicago's in town. I got to hear that brass again, right? You pay that extra money. Sit. This is the number one seed in all the universe. He sat down. It's finished. He sat down in the highest place of authority. 
And that's where he's seated today. He has the position and the authority and the rank of number one in all the universe. Wow, B, this is the one who earlier had no place to rest his head. Remember that? Now he sits on the throne of the universe. And there's the lesson for us. You know, today is not a day to reign. Today to serve like the Lord. You serve and then later reign and rule over what responsibilities Jesus should give us. And from his throne, Jesus rules and reigns, doing whatsoever he desires as a sovereign Lord because of his finished work. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. No wonder it's all about him. It's all about him. It's all about him. He's the great one, the glorious one. It should never be about us, ever, ever, ever. Get your eyes off yourself and put your eyes on Jesus. What shall we say? Lessons for our life, number one. Your, your life it should be just like the universe, uh, if not sustained by Jesus daily, probably is filled with chaos. He controls the universe and it's very orderly. You and I must submit to him as believers in Christ. And if not, there's going to be chaos and trouble and pain and sorrow in your life. <laughs> it's the law of unintended consequences, sowing and reaping. Chaos, you don't want that. Live for him. Live for him. The steps of a good man or woman are ordered by the Lord. He delights in that. Don't wander from the path. Don't do what that lady told me once. I'm taking a vacation from God. <laughs> oh, really? That's a very dangerous... Jonah tried that once. Thanks, Raj. So it happened. Yeah. Say, well, I, I know how to swim. Don't even try. Your life is going to be filled with chaos. You know, we could pass the mics around and say, you know, we've all, God has all brought us back from one time or another or more. What happened when you deviated from the path? What happened in your life? What sorrow, what pain, what loss, what trouble? When we stumble by choice in the darkness, stay in the light, walk on the path. Remember Bunyan's you know, what? Pilgrim's Progress, yeah. I almost forgot, I said, remember it. Stay on the path. It's not Oz, it's not the, we're not going to see that. Stay on the path of his word and his will. Strive to that every day. Number two, your life as a Christian is not about you. Whether you live this long or this long, whether we live, we are the Lord's. Whether we die, we are the Lord's. Whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. That's Romans 14. You belong to Christ. It's not about you. You are to live for Him in all that you do. Do it with zest. Do it with zeal. Do it with joy. Go for it. Go for it. Bear the yoke in your youth. Run while you're able. Serve the Lord. It's about Him. Number three, you, you cannot add anything to the finished work of Christ. 
Not a single thing. I say that over and over and over again because we're, we're, we're plummeted by a culture that talks about, I'm trying to be good to get to heaven. Never can do. No way, Jose. That's it. It's a finished work. You need to be found in Christ. Don't even try to add, it's all about him. He has opened the door. And if you are saved, he will keep you forever. What God does, he does forever. Romans 8, if God be for us, who could possibly be against us? No one. Nothing at all. Number four. Number four, when you sin, know that it dirties your soul, your conscience. It wounds your heart. You know that. You feel it. There's a sense of shame. Listen, let me show you how different you are from the animals. Your dog may steal the neighbor's dog's bone, and he doesn't feel badly about it at all. And he could have three girlfriends in the neighborhood, have, have all sorts of pups, and doesn't feel bad. God put that in his brain to reproduce when the, the neighbor females are in heat. You're not an animal. You are made in God's image. And we're to live holy, righteous, and godly lives, and God has given us a conscience. It's that still quiet voice in our heart. And we need to be careful. When we sin, we dirty it, we soil it, we, we nullify its, its alarm system for our own good. Fight to keep that clean and well-working order, and you'll be blessed and have more joy and serve the Lord with rejoicing. And number five and last, today, just let me invite you. Today, receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here and you've never trusted Christ the Lord as your Savior. Never. Say, I've never, I didn't know I had to, Lord Jesus, be merciful unto me, a sinner. You need to receive Christ the Lord as Savior and Lord. Confessing, Lord, I'm a sinner lost. I deserve hell. All of us do. Thank you for dying in my place. You paid the price, the only price that satisfied as my substitute. I receive you as my Lord. I can help you in any of that. Boy, I, I'm here. That's why I'm here. Let me know. Mention it to me. I'll pray with you, you know, to see you come to know Christ. Well, it's about him. It's about him. It's not Muhammad Ali. I'm the greatest. No, you're not. Look at the galaxies and the universe tonight. Look at the stars. Remind how puny and small and frail and utterly, totally dependent we are on this one, this greatest of all. It's all about Jesus. Let's stand and be dismissed.